Hey y'all, Illidan here with a quick message. We realized episodes 1 through 12 had some rough audio and tech issues, and I tried to edit it all out, but it didn't quite meet our standards. So what we're going to do is we're going to be re-recording some of the topics in later episodes that inevitably will have more ideas and different content still pertinent to the original topic. So as you listen to these older episodes, we humbly ask for your patience as we press on and strive to bring you better content each week. If you'd like to continue hearing uh, the original episode, keep listening. If not, look for the topic name in our episode list in our new episodes where we've learned to fix some of those issues. We hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, theys and thems, goblins and paladins all. This is the first of many episodes where we, the story weavers, help you as players and dungeon masters, new, old, or aspiring, with questions and ideas for your next tabletop role-playing game. Welcome to the This Dungeon is Occupied podcast. I'm one of your story weavers, Illidine. I'm here with Thorn and Forrest. But I'm not say hi, guys. Oh, good, good. Hi. Hello. Good hello, guys. <laughs> hey. Uh, uh, so we're we're gonna be doing uh, kind of a QA for Forrest. Uh, he's a story weaver slash dungeon master for a couple of one-shots turned campaign. Uh, and he wanted to get some ideas from Thorn and I. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to do a couple of little story times uh, about uh, some of our first or f- just funny encounters of our characters. And then we'll sign off. Uh, if you guys like this podcast, give us a like and a follow and we'll get started. So, uh, Forrest, what's your, what's your first thing you want to talk about? First thing I want to talk about is uh, stuff dealing with uh, one of my players' uh, backstory and what to do as part of her arc. Okay. Do you want a backstory right quick, just so everyone can know it at home? Uh, yeah, I'll give you a moment. <clears throat> uh, I won't mention his characters, um, her character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this uh, character is a tiefling rogue, um, and she strives to keep her name, which is um, the she uses uh, the virtues, one of the virtues um, as her name. Uh, but she strives to keep her memories <laughs> in the top of her head, so that she can always have information handy. She spent many years of her life trying to keep details of her father close. He raised her. He never really talked to her about what happened to her mother. And she has added a picture. One day, her village was raided, and the able-bodied were taken prisoner. She and her father were put into a dungeon. Whenever they did to her, it was terrible. And she, ironically, can't remember the details. Her mind blocked it out for her own protection. Somehow she ended up in a field far from the dungeon covered in blood. Those that were captured were branded in the back of the left calf. This brand is of a raven with an arrow through its heart. That's all the information she has on it. Since then, she's been trying to check her father to free him if he's alive. She had survived on her own after her escape and still at, a young, still at a young age. She has a natural eye for, for the value of things and has a great attention to detail. So she was recruited by a locksmith guild. 
they've sent her out for a legendary key. Most think that this key is a myth, but the guild has a reason to believe otherwise. They've sent her as she expects because they want her out of the way. She feels taken for granted, and so she wants to turn. She wants to return with the key to prove her guild um, that she's worth it. To prove her worth. And um, from what the guild has told her, uh, this key doesn't really open anything. It's a treasure made by an ancient king for his love. The key to her heart, per se. Okay. That's her backstory. Okay, so for like me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is daddy's dead. Yeah, easy. That's that's an easy that that's almost a given and almost it, in the way I ran would run things. Um, that ultimate thing you're after, which it sounds it sounds horrible. The ultimate thing you're after, you're never gonna get. You want to drag it and and string them along with it as long as you possibly can because, as we all know, um, drama is it's fun. Yeah, it makes it makes for good RP and it makes for strife. It makes and you can you can actually stretch it, uh, like Thorne was saying. It, if you leave clues that potentially he's alive, giving that character a little bit of hope, uh, it could be an old missive, an old letter from you know one part of the uh, um, whether it was a slavers camp or some kind of raiding party. Uh, one leader to another or a faction to faction there's you know she finds this letter on a carrier or maybe she finds somebody with you know if since everyone that was imprisoned was branded with these uh, uh, marks maybe the faction has tattoos of those marks signifying the difference between prisoner and uh, caretaker so to speak Um, and so they find a letter here and there along their uh, their path or their uh, their way in search of their father. Um, and it says, you know, we're taking these prisoners here uh, and we're gonna be uh, transporting them to another site or whatever and have either the father's name or some kind of description of them because nine times out of 10, uh, the people who have prisoners don't really care what their names are so you could just be like so and so uh, described this way is being taken and that could be the description of her father and so it's like giving her hope that you know that father is still alive or at least was by the time this message was there but then as thorn said like by the time you get there he's you know either completely dead or has been horrifyingly tortured depending on you know the 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 party that you're playing with because sometimes torture could be a trigger warning but trying to string it along and then inevitably killing that hope gives the uh the the rp amazing (laughs) oh it's because it gets flavor it really does and and as far as like the prison that they were held in um you can make that prison on a different flank which is why it's so hard to find that's good uh I, w- I would, you know, put it, and it doesn't have to be like the fire plane where it's, uh, you know, make it subtle, subtle differences, subtle plane, uh, just a little bit different. So maybe she didn't even know she was on another plane. You could even make it, um, 
either either the shadow realm or the Feywild if it's you know like D and D lore for, uh, for in this case, because they're both of those planes are supposed to be mirror images, just slightly different. So the you know obviously the shadow realm has a little bit more darker creatures. The Feywild has more magical creatures, stuff like that. But especially if you throw them in the uh, the Feywild, you could have fun with time. You could have fun with magic. You could have fun with actual Fey going to the Seely Court to find her father. Things like that. Yeah, Feywild is always fun to bring in. Uh, okay. Which would also even the Feywild would also trade trade. Uh, it w- it would follow with this the brand with the raven. I mean, oh, is yeah. it an actual raven, or does it just look like a raven? Because there's a lot of creatures in the Feywild that look like they're from our realm, but they're not. Which could give you links to make the tattoo slightly magical, or the, the brand slightly magical. And there's, there's a wide range. That would open all sorts of stuff up. Okay. And the the key, a legendary key. So the key's a myth. So are you, are you planning on making the key a legendary item? Um, I'm teetering on uh, a yes. I think that would be good. Uh, think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've played uh, Skyrim, uh, or at least familiar with it. But they had the the thieves guild there. Um, once they rose the ranks and everything, you had this side quest and you had to find um, this master key and it was like a, a pick and it was the, the unbreakable pick. So you could, uh, you could lock pick any, any lock on the plane. So this key could be similar to that since it's, you know, the locksmith guild, you've got this legendary key. Uh, it could be something like uh, think of, in D&D lore, we have Mask, uh, and I forget who Lady Luck is called, uh, but there's multiple gods and pantheons that deal specifically with thieves, uh, thieves' guilds, um, lock picking, and luck in general, that this item could be something bestowed to somebody from one of those pantheon. What if we take it literally being this key is a literal can be a key to someone's heart and this is like a little bit more sinister oh that's even better i mean okay, think of so uh, i'm thinking more of like uh, it could create undead like if there's a dead person that you could just stick the key in a chest twist it and it's it's an undead Ooh, so almost making it like a kind of like a construct key like a, a yeah. wind-up key, that'd mm-hmm. be good. Uh, the other way could be if you wanted it to be a specific person, um, you could do it like um, uh, I'm thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Davy Jones Locker, that guy. Ah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the heck's like his name? The, the Flying Dutchman. Um, mm-hmm. His name was Davy Jones, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was so hard for me, uh, but yeah. So when you know when he when he messed with Calypso and you know he she cursed him and everything, he had that 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 key in his heart that he had to uh, 
you know, she, he gave the heart for safekeeping and then he decided never to come back. And that could be something that you could do as well. Something similar, not obviously don't just take straight from it because mm-hmm. that, that would give your player too much. Um, you don't want to give them too many clues and be like, Oh, I know where this lore is coming from. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you're subtle enough and then they go, Oh, is this and man, that feels really good. <laughs> or have you ever seen, um, that show on the, the one streaming channel called Lock and Key. Lock and yes. Key. What is the show oh. about? Watch it. <laughs> you get all sorts <laughs> of ideas. <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty pretty weird ideas on that show. I mean, it, it there's from being able to unlock your, your subconscious mind to uh, having a key to pull the fear out of you to... I mean, you, and actually, here's, here's an idea. Here's an idea. So they sent her after, after this uh, legendary key that a king supposedly made, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say um, that the king actually did make these keys. He was a great sorcerer or wizard, but he didn't make just one key. He made five. Oh. And the, all the... The rumors about and the legends about this uh, this key not being able to do anything were rumors spun by this locksmithing guild because they want the power. And maybe you have uh, five different keys, but you know a couple of them are real dark. One's kind of like a uh, an actual key for doors, and the other two are kind of more on the brighter side. But once they're all together, it gives you like uh, mastery over something. One key to rule yeah. all. Exactly, but it's yet all five have to be together. But that would give you some more opportunities to extend the arc and give you some some great dungeon crawls to look for keys or um, trips to the shadow fell. Or, you know, you're talking about realm jumping and everything just for these keys. And the, even even having a place, it could be, um, I'm stealing an idea from uh, the Critical Role podcast, but when um, one of the players, she was a druid, her name escapes me at this point, but she had to go through a trial with each of the different factions of her druid tribes. Uh, and each one, the trial was a little bit harder as the, you know, cause obviously they were leveling up during that period. Um, but each time they went to a place, they, they had the trek and the trials of getting there. But then once they got there, you know, in, in this situation, okay, you want this key, well, you've got to do X or, you know, and it's some kind of trial or some kind of, uh, puzzle that they have to do. Or like in Critical Role, they went into the uh, the water plane and they had to sneak a pearl or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something created by a kraken. And they had to sneak it from the kraken back to the material plane. And they were trying to, to sneak and not have to do combat with the kraken. But then, you know, somebody fumbled a roll, the kraken saw them. Uh, and combat ensued they ended up killing the kraken and then there was a whole new problem 
because that Kraken was producing the like a power orb or something that they every couple of months they had to go down, get one, it would power their city, and now there's no Kraken. So you could do something like that where there's potential for mess ups and things like that. Possibly, I'm thinking um, probably also connected with her father. If her father is dead, maybe one of these keys can is straight up like the key to life and can like revive. She like um, slowly learned that one of these keys can actually revive people, kind of like a true okay. resurrection stuff like that. What yeah. I would go because um, at this point, I'm assuming they're all very low level. I wouldn't go so far as a true resurrection. I wouldn't even go so far as bringing him back permanently, but maybe one of the keys lets her ask a question or lets her uh, talk to his image. Uh, kind of like the, I, I just don't know if you want to dangle the true resurrection because that, that takes a lot of um, what she's gone through to get from him away. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's I, someone- I, Maybe it'll be a one-use key? Yeah, that but even be. if you do a, a one-use key, um, the only way that it would be a, a drama play would be if I get to her father and are able to use that key, another character in the party dies or something else. They, yeah, there has give, to be a reason why. A consequence. Yeah, there has to be some reason why she ha- she wants to hesitate to using that key because otherwise like thorn said it's just okay here's a true resurrection spell you get to use it once okay cool like all my all my stuff that i've done all my all the drama it it's kind of it falls a little flat in the end just because okay yeah everyone's happy you know the the dad's back nothing else occurred um so it could be a curse it could be um like I said, like a a decision between one person dying and one person being resurrected. Um, Or the person that uses it dies. Yeah, a a huge sacrifice. Um, Mm -hmm. Or like Thorne was uh, touching on having it be the the visage or or just a question of from the father. Um, I forget the Disney movie. Um, It's uh, they had it was like the, they were trolls or elves or something and wizards were gone um and uh they had to they were trying to resurrect their dad with a, a stone and they broke the first oh, one onward. onward onward yeah and at the end you know spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen onward by this point um but they only got like five minutes and only one brother got it because the the other one had to fight the the stone dragon or whatever um, yeah and so <laughs> so the so the dad gets five minutes you know you get to see like in the sunset a little bit of a hug from the brother and then that was it and that's all they got so it could be something like that where it's like it's still dramatic and it doesn't fall quite as flat as just everything worked out so perfectly the biggest thing i have a, the biggest problem i have with the whole true resurrection is it okay the end i mean she got everything she wanted exactly and 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 i understand that a lot of people and you know there could be dms or, or players listening to this thinking that 
well, that's what D and D is. You know, it's supposed to be a fantasy world. Everything, ha- everything ends happy, but that's not how real life works. So, I mean, I know I understand this is fantasy, but you want to keep the game going until yeah. you can retire players. You can, you know, make a new one and want to play him more or them more or she more, but you want to keep it going. And by giving everything to them, it really does fall flat, and it can be just the end. Yeah. The only way that I would see um, a true resurrection not falling flat like that is either A, like Thorne said, you're able to continue the arc or enter a new arc, uh, and there's new drama that's happening, or it's the dead end of the campaign this is the the final session you guys are closing the books we're going to play something else next time we meet um so think of like the ending of curse of strahd or the ending of Waterdeep. usually the dm's guide will say okay this is what you're going to do once everything's over and the roles happen how they do you go in and you do like a a narrative epilogue of what all the characters do for the rest of their lives uh, as a, a final, you know, uh, goodbye to the, the characters. I've seen a lot of, a lot of DMs do that where they, they're like, okay, um, so-and-so passed. Uh, they left behind uh, this character and this character as uh, siblings or kids or whatever. And they grow up and want to be adventurers like their dad or their mom. Uh, and then they go on to the next character and they say, okay, character number two, that they retired from adventuring and started uh, a blacksmithing job. And they, you know, they, they work towards being the best blacksmith in the land or whatever, but it's, it's a goodbye for everyone. And it doesn't fall, it doesn't fall quite as flat as, as just like, take, uh, take our campaign. Uh, for those of you listening, all three of us are in a campaign right now. If, uh, if Milo and Venefikus, Venefikus is a black and gold dragon and Milo is a, a wizard Felis. Um, it's a Felis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the dragon got disintegrated from a, a combat and they had to use a wish spell um, to get it, to get the dragon back. Um, and you know, for the veteran players and everything, a wish spell is actually really hard to come by. It's a level nine spell. It's usually not just given to a player. They usually have to go through things. Uh, I happen to be the DM for that campaign and the party had to go through a 32 page PDF of just puzzle after puzzle in order to get this amulet that had five wish spells and they had to use one for the dragon and that caused all kinds of spicy RP, RP because two of the characters simply just don't want a dragon hanging around their party, especially a black dragon. Uh, and so there was that that tension. But had it been, you know, just like, oh, poof, the dragon's back after I had just rolled whatever it is, 40 uh, D8s or whatever it is for, um, for Disintegrate you know, ridiculous damage. If I was like, ah, oh, ha, 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 there's all this damage. And then, oh, he's back. It just doesn't, it's not, there's not any, any real tension and it doesn't feel like there's no threat anymore to the party. 
Does that make sense for us? Yeah. So, I mean, is, is that enough ideas for you for, for a good arc, arc and a half for uh, that? I'm thinking, um, so if she finds out that his bad Wayne, her, her dad's dead, there's, of course, a possible journey of him, of her trying to, uh, uh, no, bring him back, but maybe, but, um, it's also a possibility for her wanting vengeance against the against the against the folks that um imprisoned her. Yeah. Oh yeah, dangle both. Dangle both oh, yeah. in front of them. So yeah, dangle my, both. Let them make the decision. So my question is, either way, this organization is um like responsible for her suffering. What oh, kind yeah. of organization would this be? Okay, so you want these are what would you say they they kidnapped him from their village? Yeah, she what did they do with the rest of what did they do with the rest of the village? Um, like I'm thinking like a a evil shadowy, um, probably either like a um infamous bandit camp or a uh, thieves guild. I'm probably thinking so. Okay, so if go ahead. Okay, um, you you can you do both of both of those, you know, shadowy uh, or infamous bandit group or whatever. But you could also do something a little more on the simpler side of just think about uh, Vikings. They took on servants and things after a raiding, but like everything they pillaged was their property, including people. Uh, and you know, there's, there's multiple histories and also fake histories of different, uh, groups of people similar to Vikings who raided, you know, uh, and pillaged and burned everything, but kept the valuables. They kept some of the people that didn't fight as hard, you know, some of the, like you, in the backstory, you said all the able-bodied people were taken as, uh, as slaves, but what about the, the unable-bodied, the older or the younger, were they just outright killed, and that automatically causes a vengeance streak for this character, or were the younger ones taken and groomed to be these servants, you know, uh, it could go either way, um, even, even if you just did a, a bandit organization, you could still play it like that, um, and then depending on who your party is, you can go darker routes and and go into to other nefarious dark ways of how they used their slaves. And also, as far as the the father daughter characters being put in a prison, if you go with the different realm thing, you could say that the group Vikings, bandits, whatever, have a deal with one of the higher beings in the Shadowfell that they get their pick of mm -hmm. people. Maybe a percentage of the number of slaves they take get taken to, the, to this person and taken over to the Shadowfell or to the Fae. Because Fae, they're not good. Yeah. They're not, they're not necessarily evil So because they don't think of humans like or any any race on the mortal realm as 
anything much more than uh, objects. Mm-hmm. They're they're so, amusements. When exactly. I read when I read about the Fae, it's always you're amusing to me. Like how your your concept of the world is so simple. And you know these the the Sealy Court or or however you want to call them the Arch phase, you know they never lie to you, but they have fun telling you like almost false truths, you know because they omit a lot of stuff. They never lie; they just omit part of the truth. And so you think one thing, and you're like, "Oh no, I I didn't say that. I, I said this," and it changes how the the wording is, and that's all. That's why all the Fae, when you read about them, and especially D&D lore, they're all chaotic, whether they're chaotic good or chaotic evil or even chaotic neutral, they're all right around chaotic. And even the chaotic neutrals, you know, they, they don't teeter as much to the good and the evil. And a lot of the Arch Fae's tend to be that chaotic neutral because especially giving that, uh, that ammunition for the DMs, it could go either way. They could be good and, and help the uh, the party if the party comes up to them and pays their respects and everything. And they 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 sought them out in the Feywild and said, I I heard about this Archfey. I'm going to go and pay my respects before I go rummage in their kitchen, you know. But if they slight that Fey, then all of a sudden that evil side kicks in and they start, you know, the Fey can start working their way into the. The, the material plane and start messing with the, the, the party and start changing subtle things because that's one thing about the Feywild is everything's a subtle change. You don't notice things are different until you're seeing you know somebody that you saw two minutes ago in a different building or you're seeing somebody from last week that said that they were going you know to another city but they're sitting at the fire things like that. And I've used those to mess with my parties many times. <laughs> and, and even in the thing that you could actually make an arch fay be the benefactor for this group of bandits or whatever. And that's why they get away with doing this stuff so easily because when they come in, it's, it's under this cloud of basically camouflage given to them by the arch fay. And, and in return for, for this, this, Thing, they get a percentage of the slaves while the the bandits get all the money and everything for themselves because that means nothing to the Archfey. Ooh. Going off of that track, think about, you know, I was asking about like what happened to the the younger people the, that weren't that weren't able-bodied to work. I mean, Baba Yaga is a fey in DD lore. And Baba Yaga lore, she eats children's fingers. So maybe that 10% that Thorne's talking about is bring me the children, you keep whatever else you want, I care less. And then you even have this slightly more, more than slightly evil Fae as the benefactor that could be the big bag evil guy at the end of your campaign as a, a final battle with a bunch of henchmen involved. Or it could just be that overarching, uh, hi, you know, hijinks kind of thing where every once in a while Baba Yaga just comes in and messes up their world and then you never see her again. <laughs> the cogs are turning. 
I mean, there's definitely a lot of ways you can go with it. Yeah. And it's just what you, you think your players would find interesting. And it's and a lot of it's giving them choices. Right. Let them choose. Always let them choose. And then always have consequences as well, you know, yes. along that same vein. If they choose one way, give them some kind of consequence. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be world-ending consequences. Um, but something something does happen. I mean, even when we choose, if we choose to eat an apple today instead of an orange, maybe tomorrow that orange goes bad. You know, something simple as, as that can be a consequence. You just have to spin it to where it's in this fantasy world where that choosing the apple over the orange, maybe the apple was poisoned. Who knows? So, you know, going off this uh, little question, uh, not really to uh, a character, but you guys have uh, reference to a lot of other media and other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Is it okay steal to... it all. Absolutely steal it all. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for stealing. Um, you know, you can't, you obviously can't steal things and claim it as yours. You can't, uh, you know, create a, a new podcast or whatever and say like, oh, this is my idea. And then somebody goes and is like, hey, this sounds oddly like episode 20 of Critical Role. But if you say, you know, uh, like my personal campaign, uh, I did base it off of uh, Dungeons and Randomness. I use that con- uh, continent, um, Alara, as my map but I changed damn near everything about the cities except their name because it was just easier to keep the map the same. But the lore behind all the cities, I changed. The lore behind some of the characters that happen in the history of Alara, I changed the, the lore of that. So you can, it's, it's almost like you buy a blueprint. You know, if you, if you go to Barnes and Noble and buy a blueprint for housing, you don't get in trouble for building the house that you followed the blueprint of, but you can't say, oh, I did that house. So it's, it's the same concept. I definitely say steal everything. Uh, oh, I, for- I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Because even my, because I, I run a World of Darkness campaign. Now, those mm-hmm. of you who don't know World of Darkness, it's vampire, werewolf, uh, look it up, white wolf. Onyx path, it's great. It's a very heavy RP system. Uh, But in mine, I even took bits and pieces and even the the full concept for mine from the forever verse with Ivan Van Norman. Mm -hmm. The idea of time traveling through different, different, um, to different places in different parts of history, which gives me something else. And I steal the crap out of history. Yeah. And that's a really good one, too. Yeah. Is if you steal from history, like you know, when we were talking about this character and the slavers and everything, when I was asking you, like, what are what are the slavers or the the bandits or the Vikings or whatever group you're gonna you're gonna create them to be? What are they doing with their their prisoners? They took all the able-bodied, but why are they going to be the Egyptian slavers that are just like go build me a pyramid because I said so, or are they gonna be even darker and go? you know, Jewish prison camps, um, just the, the different things in history that have happened to just slaves in general, you could 
use that just touch that history a little bit and it gives it that uh I, I call it the flavor of reality <laughs> it's just there's a little bit of true life that happened that makes it feel more real instead of just it's a fantasy world um there's floating nothingness in the sky that is the end-all be-all and even though that that can be a thing you know like cthulhu could actually be the god that created earth who knows but if you have a little bit of history and a little bit of extra lore and depth to it it makes your players more invested and they want to rp harder or even if they don't like they don't say they want to rp harder maybe they do it just subconsciously because they're so involved and they're so uh deep into your lore into your your concept that it just happens naturally yeah it gives them a connect point it gives them something yeah. to connect with and that's the the ultimate job for the dm is is making your players connect with your campaign that's why i call uh, that's why i call ourselves uh story weavers because you're you're not you're not dictating to your players what's happening like, I mean, any campaign, look at Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd is built so well, and the, the guides, to, I mean, there's, there's plenty of guides on how to run Curse of Strahd. There's, you know, the actual Curse of Strahd guide, then there's the guide to the guide of Curse of Strahd. Now they're coming out with a new one, uh, the guide to Ravenloft, and so it's just creating that deeper lore. But inevitably, your players could, you know, you could say, okay, here's, Here's murder house. Now I don't go inside. Well, okay, let's scratch the, that whole episode, that whole chapter, and then continue on inside deeper into Ravenloft or into the, the barony and, and talk to, to Strahd and Strahd, you know, uh, invites them to dinner. It's all based on your players. So that's why we're weaving, we weave this, the, the player stories together. You're just a facilitator. Yeah, inevitably players do not do what you want them to do no they don't <laughs> so, and they don't even they won't do anything that they expect either like if you're like oh no. i think my players will do this i can guarantee you nine out of ten times they won't do that thing <laughs> yeah at all or they might do it but like 80 sessions later, they might come back to the town and be like, hey, I remember you told me about this one thing about a city. And uh, I, I mean, I can take a, another story here because uh, Thorn is here. Thorn's character was like, hey, right before we went to the Feywild, you told me about that one city. And I was like, yeah, you should you, you should go there and check out what happened. I ignored it. I just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he ignored it. And then when he came back and he was like, oh, hey, you know, there's a. Uh, there's smoke on the horizon. Where's that from? Oh, that's in the direction of that one city. And that one city is the thing that I reminded him about, you know, two, three sessions ago. So many times. So many times. <laughs> and that city got demolished and, and just raised to the ground. Everybody died. And I was like, hey, my bad. I'm here to save the rest of you. <laughs> uh, any more questions uh, for us? Uh, not right, not at the moment. Okay. okay. But all really good ideas that I can marinate on. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
even even if these ideas if you don't use a single uh, uh, idea and this goes for the listeners too if you hear any of our ideas feel free to steal them even the stories that we talk about oh, steal yeah. them i mean take them all uh you know thorn talks about world of darkness and he probably will in almost every episode because that's something that we do on a weekly basis and i take from my campaign a lot um and some of my past campaigns that i've either dm'd or uh played in those stories and those ideas those are free to use absolutely 100 percent free to use um and even if you're listening and you're like, you know, I don't really like what he said about it, about that idea. But if I take that idea and I change it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. So, you know, Forrest, if you're listening to these ideas and, you know, I, I heard you uh, either typing or writing it down, uh, taking some notes. If you take three of the ideas and slam it together and make one, that's your thing. It's, it's yeah. your, your campaign. I mean, those gotcha. are the goal of, of tabletop RPG is to have fun. Yeah. As long as you have fun, you're doing it right. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with with that, we can uh, we can conclude the uh, the question part uh, since you don't have any more questions for us, um, and since we we've been talking to you a bunch, um, I'll put you on the spot. Who was your first character that you can think of that you you used for RP? Doesn't necessarily have to be tabletop RPG, but any kind of RP. Who was he and or that or she, and what was the RP like? Uh, well, let me think about that because I think I play because um in terms of like RP and like. No, tabletop RPGs. Uh, I remember playing a little bit of it when I even quit play, uh, playing is a uh, is a uh, not really a way to say it. Uh, dabbled in it, dabbled in it um, a little bit in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only we were only able to like get through character creation like one session, uh, but. I think it was a fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. I've made a halfling rogue named Jamalo. J-A-M-A-L-O. Okay. Very first character. Not much personality outside of like, he's a rogue and he threw rocks because we were inside a prison. (laughs) Um, But I guess my very first player that I actually role played uh, with considerably was a wood elf monk named Tia. Um, this was back, this is when I really started getting into tabletop RPGs, especially um, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, no, a typical uh, typical uh, Shaolin style monk. Um, no, they uh, we were doing a campaign um, involving um, these group called the uh, Red Plumes. They're very racist. Um, they don't like anything that's not human. And so my character would wear a turban to hide his ears. And, you know, he was, like I said, a typical uh, Shaolin Shaolin practitioner. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was also kind of like the straight man of the group, per se. Um, A lot of them would like to get into shenanigans. (laughs) And... -uh. 
you were the straight man? I'm shocked. Hey. <laughs> hey. Boy likes to play it safe in real life. I like to play it safe in. <laughs> I ne- never guessed that. <laughs> but, like, Lane, but he'll have his, like, have his little silly moments as well. Um, like one time, uh, I think after we got done with this dungeon thing, um, we were getting mounts. And I think what most we got were like horses. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were waiting for like, the others to like buy, I think one of them wanted to buy an elephant. And they were like trying to do math to see if they could afford it. Nice. Me and the party fighter, I think it was a dwarven fighter, me and him decided to uh, joust each other to kill time. <laughs> and uh, I lost. Um, I, I was uh, holding a, uh, I think a quarter staff. Another guy, he didn't really have any long sticks, so he used his uh, great axe. <laughs> and you know, we you know, got on the horse. We uh, galloped towards each other. And um, surprisingly, I lost. So I got hit. And as soon as I got hit, Demon's like, okay, uh, roll for damage. And I'm like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, you're <laughs> jousting. I'm not gonna, not gonna joust and not take damage from that. Even though it's from a, bl- even though it's from like the front end of an axe. So, yeah, surprise That's Pikachu good. face. <laughs> I'm shocked. I would take blood force trauma from a full speed. <laughs> Worse. Yeah, now, I guess it depends on the DM. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, listeners, we we know each other personally. Um, and so, is D and D or slash tabletop RPG? Is that a a product of you acting or getting into acting, or is it a byproduct? Did you it's like? Is this what sparked your interest in theater? Or is theater what sparked your interest into tabletop um, RPG? That one, um, it's weird. It was around the time that I uh, kind of transitioned into going into theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think I started uh, taking um, no, acting one, uh, no stage makeup, all that, like very beginner uh, acting classes. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I've, I've been I've been curious about um about Dungeons and Dragons and I've been hearing about the typical Dungeons and Dragons stuff they would hear, you know, folks mm-hmm. in the basement, <laughs> whatnot, you know, the the stereotype the usual, but uh, got really interested in it and um I heard that um at my local uh, game store that they hold uh Dungeons and Dragons sessions um like every Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. The game store was called Fantasies, and so I, it's me and my best friend. Um, I'll say, tell them, hey, you know, why don't you come join me to check this out uh, for um, Dungeons and Dragons? And uh, this is all the way back in uh, 2014, so like right, right where um, they, the fifth edition, uh, like just came out almost, I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, don't quote me on that. And it was probably about around the time that the Indies kind of started really getting popular. Uh, but no, it was just curiosity. And um, you know, me 
of my career in theater and acting, uh, this does kind of help with like um, improv and acting as well. You know, kind of gets the motor running, especially during uh, this pandemic and whatnot. Yeah. You know, got to be careful with like, you know, like person to person like interaction. You know, that's kind of, it's kind of like where you can really, you know, express your emotions, um, you know, for the, for the most part. But, you know, with D&D, you can do a good amount of uh, improv and acting with these role-playing, depending, oh, on, yeah, how, for sure. depending on how uh, role-play heavy, you know, the campaign is, I mean, their game is, and... You know, with these two blokes, uh, they are pretty uh, role playing heavy, which I don't mind. I like you like. <laughs> and what about you, Thorn? Tell me, uh, tell me your favorite character or your first character, whichever you remember. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, and the reason he says that is is because I've been playing D and D and tabletop role playing games in general, and I've played a lot of different ones. For about the past thirty plus years, you play the OG so, Dungeons and Yeah, I I started with A, B, and D, or I mean, I guess people would call it first edition, mm-hmm. uh, but it was A, B, and D. Uh, a very very dear friend of mine at the time, I'd known him since I was about five years old, brought over a starter pack A, B, and D, and I made an Elven Fighter Knight. I can't remember exactly what it was. But and we dungeon crawled for like, you know, we started made the character. It was like started this little dungeon crawl fighting slimes and all sorts of different stuff. And next thing I know, it's like four hours later. <laughs> and that's what got me hooked. Favorite character. Um, that's a hard one. I've had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, I played back when I was in probably junior high high school uh it might have been second edition by then i don't really remember uh but it was a dwarven berserker okay mm-hmm. and it was he was like on the shorter end of the dwarf scale he was just a like a touch taller than a gnome mm-hmm. but he wore a three-foot head spike and he had spikes <laughs> on his elbows and his knees and his fists and oh, he would just charge people with his head down huh? yep. <laughs> i said i could just hear the rp from that <laughs> oh yeah that was that was before i got so rp heavy but really one of my favorites was probably uh one that i created just over shoot i guess it's four or five years ago it was uh, a kinder rogue named tobin mm-hmm. and he was and a lot of people, they don't use kinders. They don't like kinders, mainly because people don't, ha- don't know how to play kinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, kinders can be very innocent, can be. Uh, and even when you want to go a little more adultish with them, like I did, because my kinder was basically a con man, mm-hmm. uh, he still has innocent qualities. Uh, what are kinders? Kinders are... They're kind of like halflings. Uh, they were originated with uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, which was a book, uh, an 
a Dragonlance book written by um, I blanked. <laughs> Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Trickman, yeah. And he, the the kinder they have in there is very innocent and it is very childlike. And but from that, there's been a lot of different homebrew characters, homebrew races made for kinders. So I kind of took up a amalgam of all the homebrews and I kind of made my own because uh, the the DM let me. And uh, so when he started out the campaign, it was to make everybody think and underestimate him. But when we got the second part, that's when he came out as the con man. And it was a lot of fun to play. He caused a lot of problems, <laughs> which they are good at. But they are also, uh, they can be to a fault with the, the things that they steal. Um, kinders are raised not to view possessions like we do. Uh, they, everybody owns everything. So a kinder might pick a guy's pocket and find, you know, a nice watch or a, a good, nice little dagger or just a bag of gold. And the guy's like, hey, that's mine. And the kinder would be like, oh, here, you dropped this. <laughs> Knowing dang well, he just reached into his bag and took it out. Yeah. <laughs> but he does, and they usually get very offended when, they, when they're called thieves. But, uh, I mean, most yeah. people get offended when, they, when they're called thieves. Hmm. Yeah, Kinder's a little overworked. But he was probably, <laughs> he's probably one of my, my, one of my favorites because he's just so fun to RP. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, thinking of my favorite characters, I mean, obviously, I, I'm named after one of them, uh, Captain Illidine. Um, he was my my rogue uh swashbuckler before there was swashbucklers really um and he's he's always been a pirate and then when they came out with swashbuckler i i i re revamped him a little bit and then you know with 4e and and then 5e came out um and i i switched him over from uh i had him in 3.5 moved him to four then i uh I transferred him over from four to five and uh, he's always been that, that piratey kind of person. Um, but it's like, I mean, just like any, anybody who's done tabletop RPG nine times out of 10, the first character that we ever make is a lot like us. And so he was a, an edge Lord uh, back in the day, um, you know, way back, way, way back at about uh, 2006, 2007, um Shut that up. was pretty far back <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh yeah uh, you. Thorn, thorn has uh, uh a little bit of of years over me on playing um only like a little less than double um but uh i don't know either uh illidine was always getting into shenanigans uh even as an edgelord he he didn't really, I don't think he wanted to be an edgelord all the time. <laughs> uh, even when I was RPing him as me, it was more of, I was trying to get him out there and uh, try different things. And so as he, as I grew up and as he, as, as he, uh, you know, character development uh, turned out that he was pansexual and turned out that he uh, really liked the thrill of, of taking things, but he never liked being called a pirate. 
He was a, uh, a sailor in the business of acquiring uh, goods of questionable origin. So was the original what, lines that I used. So what you're saying <laughs> is, is that he didn't choose the pirate life. The pirate life chose him. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, and originally, <laughs> originally, I was actually going to make him as like a uh, almost like a merchant marine. Like he was actually going to be he was going to be legit. Uh, and uh, he started out uh, when Eberron came out and uh, they had the, the war and House Lirander um, created airships. Man, I jumped on that. And my DM at the time uh, let me captain a uh, airship. It wasn't totally mine at the time. I was just borrowing it from the house. Uh, but the war ended and uh, I, you know, froles land as they do and i was lucky and so i came out with a little bit of uh, a uh, a legendary story so to speak and so my my ship ended up becoming the kraken uh because of how when uh, when we were flying over other airships we would drop lines down uh from the uh, the sides of the hull and our pirates or our sailors would drop down these these ropes and we always described it as looking like tentacles coming out of the ship um so the ship became known as the kraken and towards the end of that that uh, campaign uh i asked house lirander if i could have the ship and captain her uh for the rest of my days flying under the uh the banner of house lirander and of course after helping end the war you know a lot of us got what we wanted and I proceeded to fly the black as immediately after I got out of House Lirander airspace um, and became a pirate. So that was that was my story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of wish I could remember some of my earlier players. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm telling you, it's been so long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everybody that plays and everybody's listening, you're going to have your favorite players. Play them oh, as yeah. much as you can. Because if you're having fun, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. And even bring them back. I mean, uh, you know, I don't really play Illidan so much anymore, but like in our campaign, uh, I bring him back as a, a mentor to some of the players. And sometimes he uh, aids the party in different ways. You know, I don't, I don't treat him like a, a DM PC. I've never really liked that whole thing. Uh, so he just pops in every once in a while and uh, gives the party some direction or he's the message bringer. Like when when the when that one town burst into flames, it was Illidan that told Thorval uh, that, you know, hey, I was flying over and uh, that don't look right. Uh, <laughs> so I can, I can attest to that because he actually had the opposite problem than where we were actually asking him for too much because he was so powerful mm -hmm. oh, yeah. next, next time i gotta i gotta tell a home story okay so yeah, we'll, definitely yeah we'll, we'll do that um this is actually a good uh, stopping point i guess uh for the podcast um so like i said in the beginning if you guys like this uh give us a like and a follow uh this will hopefully be posted to at the very least um Apple and uh, Android, so the Play Store and uh, and iTunes, uh, and um, we might do like uh, uh, what is it called? Um, Podbean. 
We might do those. Yeah, Podbean would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, and so I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, and with that, remember, keep checking those dungeons because this dungeon is occupied. <laughs>